Hi, I'm Michael O'Connell, host of the It's All Journalism podcast. For more than a decade, It's All Journalism has produced a weekly podcast featuring interviews with working journalists, educators, and media thought leaders, all discussing the ever-changing media landscape. We've covered a wide range of topics such as solutions journalism, mental health in the newsroom, local news startups, investigative reporting, online harassment, and new technology. Over the years, It's All Journalism partnerships have played important roles in expanding our reach and ensuring that we are able to continue producing our weekly podcast series. We are currently seeking new partners to help us keep this podcast going. If you believe in It's All Journalism's mission, if you want to see these conversations continue, go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the partnerships link and find out how we can share your company or organization's good work with a wider audience. Maybe we can produce a podcast series for you or host your next webinar. The It's All Journalism team is ready to spotlight your organization's good work and keep these important conversations going. Go to itsalljournalism.com, click on the partnerships link, and let's collaborate. And now, here's our latest episode. People thought research is hard to access. They thought it's often written in a way that is much too long, which I think makes a lot of sense. It's hard to argue with that, although we can explore, you know, ways of, of doing it differently. And they thought a lot of times academics are not asking the right questions. Many journalists complain that there's a gap between academic research about journalism and the day-to-day -day journalism that they practice. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Tamar Wilner is a postdoctorate fellow at UT Austin School of Information, where she works on co-designing for trust, a National Science Foundation-funded project aimed at tackling the misinformation crisis. And she's here to tell us about it. Tamar, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Okay. So tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, what got you first interested in journalism and what was the path that led you to UT Austin? So I was a journalist for about 15 years, and I went into journalism probably for similar reasons that other people go into journalism, just that I love to ask questions and to share knowledge and share information. And what led me to UT and studying journalism there is basically when I was a journalist, I around 2014 or so really got interested and kind of concerned about the misinformation problem and started to write about misinformation and fact-checking and ways of addressing misinformation as a journalist, as a freelancer. Then I went to, I did my master's at the University of Missouri and found that I really enjoyed the research aspect, that I wanted to be involved in crafting solutions for misinformation. So that's kind of how I made the, the journey. Then I did my PhD at, at UT's journalism school, and now I'm at the information school as a postdoc. So that's kind of the, the journey that I've taken. And I'm glad you mentioned both research and misinformation, because that's something we're going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we first reached out to you because we saw that Neiman Lab, you had published an article that you wrote with, uh, is it Valerie Belair Gagnon? Yeah, Gagnon? yeah, Valerie Belair Gagnon is the best that I can okay. say. <laughs> okay, about journalists and academic research. Uh, what can you tell me about the article? So we did a survey study that became this article. And the reason that we undertook it is because we had been noticing, and I think a lot of people on both sides have been noticing, 
really a gap between those who do research about journalism and the journalists themselves. So it seems like oftentimes what we write as academics either doesn't get read by journalists, or if it's read, doesn't affect really how they do their work. We hear from journalists that we're not doing things that are really supporting them in their work when we're doing research. So we noticed this gap. And, and actually, Valerie and her co-author, Nikki Usher, actually wrote a book about this gap, basically about how to address it and how to do journalism research that matters. And that was the name of the book. Despite this, though, we felt that few people had really documented what the gap looks like from the journalist's point of view. So we did this survey about 100 journalists who were readers of Neiman Lab, basically to ask what they think about academic research about journalism and the reason they may not use it. Now, is the idea when you say that they don't use it, that the intent of doing the journalism research is to, you know, maybe address a problem or offer solutions to the journalist? You know, that raises a good point. I think that's not always the case. If you pick up a random piece of journalism research, you might find that it is very solutions-oriented, or it might not be very solutions-oriented. It might be more explaining or documenting or quantifying the problem, whatever the given problem within journalism might be. It might be theorizing why things happen in a certain way. So, you know, this is one area where I can really feel for journalists who might say, this research is not trying to solve my problems. I would say that in any academic field, you have to have some of that research that's just trying to understand the problem or document, explore the factors behind a problem. But at the same time, there is plenty of journalism research that does look at solutions. And I think a lot of that, a lot of the time that doesn't get picked up by those who might implement it, whether those are journalists or whether they're newsroom executives who might be making some of the more strategic decisions. Okay. When I first saw that you're talking about research, I thought about, oh, for example, during COVID, there was this sort of need to reach out to learning institutions to, you know, gin up on whatever particular health science they needed to uh, help explain the, the, the story that they were writing about sometimes okay. yeah. quite, quite difficult, but yeah. it's really more focused at journalism. So that's, it's a little bit different because, you know, journalists do occasionally have the opportunity to use research, but more as a source or more as a data to, to back something up rather than, oh, this is a recipe for maybe me doing my job better right, or exactly. addressing a problem in the, in the newsroom. So what do the journalists say generally? So we found that we had both quantitative and qualitative questions. So we were both asking people to state their agreement with various statements and to state in their own words how they felt about journalism research. Those illustrated that people have mixed feelings. On the one hand, on average, people did think that research can help journalists to do their job and can even help journalism to be more helpful for its audiences and for society. At the same time, people thought research is hard to access. They thought it's often written in a way that is much too long, which I think makes a lot of sense. It's hard to argue with that, although we can explore you know, ways of, of doing it differently. They thought a lot of times academics are not asking the right questions. Okay, I guess that would make sense. You know, if they're covering a particular story or they have a particular day-to-day -day problem that they're focused on, if it's not written in a way that they can immediately implement it or, you know, see the, you know, immediate value of it, it probably would not want to 
quote-unquote waste of time, even though there might actually be something there of value. Is there any sense that journalism educators, like, you know, people at colleges and in in journalism schools who might, you know, sort of work this into a curriculum or, you know, like where you're at, as a matter of fact, that's connected with the university because, you know, this is information that's prepared by academics. Is there a possibility or is there a way or any indication if the people in the, the J school might be an avenue for, you know, explaining this or working this into some type of journalism curriculum? Right. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think that is an avenue. I think some of that is happening. Some journalism professors and instructors are using research to inform the way that they teach journalism. But I think that much more could be happening. And oftentimes there is almost as much of a disconnect there as ironically, right? Because it seems like we're in the same institution, we should research and teaching should inform each other, but still they can be very siloed and and almost as disconnected as the research is from everyday journalism practice. And, you know, there's some good structural reasons for that, why that happens. It seems to me that, you know, when jobs are, are dwindling and the career prospects for journalists can be very bleak, it can be tempting to teach journalism students to do journalism the way it's always been done, because that's what might seem to appeal to prospective employees rather than pushing them to be the ones who are innovating in the newsroom and, and improving journalism for the better. Is there an interest, you know, from the journalists you spoke to who would like to sort of encourage? I mean, if you're saying that some of the stuff doesn't directly relate or doesn't apply to what they're actually doing or the problem they're trying to solve, are there journalists who say, you know, I would welcome an opportunity to, you know, maybe work with somebody to sort of, you know, refine that, you know, that focus so that it actually reflects more, more of a solution in a real world situation? I think there's an appetite for that. We did have people saying that they wanted to work more directly with researchers to a certain extent, but I think there's a real tension there because for every person who says, you know, I would love to work more closely and have researchers help my newsroom with this particular problem it's facing, there are also a lot of people who are saying, we get plenty of requests from researchers to come to our newsroom and we just don't have the bandwidth to work with them. Even if it might be down the road beneficial to us, it's something that in the short term, we can't afford to take the time to work with researchers. I get that being a working journalist. I know that there's sometimes the last thing I want to do is to shift my focus into something else mm-hmm. and try try and try to solve somebody else's problem when I have my own problems to solve yeah. to figure out. Now, I guess this is related to this that you're you're doing an interview study of journalists to, to sort of an expansion of what you did in your Neiman lab work? Yes. We really enjoyed the reading the open-ended responses that we got from journalists who participated in the survey. And what that says to us is that there's a lot more nuance to this problem than can be captured in in some quantitative, you know, seven point scale kind of questions. So we are taking the time to interview people for about an hour apiece. We're hoping to interview about 20 journalists and wanting to ask them more about what they see as the reasons behind the gap, how they see this gap between researchers and journalists, if they've had particular experiences with researchers, perhaps in their newsroom, researchers who might have been studying what they do or advising their newsroom on on what they're doing, and also what they see as possible solutions, how we can sort of work more symbiotically, what can researchers do in particular to better support them. 
are you still getting like reaching out to people or is this something that you've sort of on your own just targeted particular newsrooms? I mean, is this an opportunity for the general public or maybe the yes. listeners of this podcast? This would be an opportunity for any journalists who are listening to the podcast or if uh, they were working as journalists and have just moved into a different role in the last year or two, we would be happy to include those people as well. So we are we are actively collecting data and we are happy to hear from, from any journalists who are listening to the podcast. So did any of the journalists that you, you surveyed, have they given you any like you know, what were they saying as far as this is what I think would close that gap or this would what make this research much more valuable to us? There are a few suggestions that came through from the survey, and I think we'll have more suggestions once we've completed the interviews. One thing that several people asked for is that journalism research, that papers should have a very clear solutions section. And so this kind of goes hand in hand with I guess you can think of it as akin to a report. When we read a white paper or report, oftentimes there's an executive summary and it leads with the most salient points. And it tells you, you know, if there's things that are recommendations for changing practices, those would be highlighted in your executive summary. But papers are very much not written that way. If there are solutions, they are buried somewhere in the discussion section. And a lot of times they're just not very solutions oriented. I think that they could be written in a way that's more solutions oriented, where you have the the more academic findings, and then maybe you go a step forward and say, well, these are the suggestions for practice, what journalists and newsrooms might be doing differently. So that was one thing they asked for. Similar to that, they asked for maybe a different structure to the journal articles. So Journalists are very used to the inverted pyramid, and we in academia, we bury the lead. So whether that's solutions or whether that's just the main finding, what's the top finding of the article, it's you have to dig and dig to find that. So another thing they mentioned is the possibility of media organizations collaborating more with researchers. And within the, the short span of time that people had to do the survey, of course, we didn't get very in the weeds about how that might happen. But what I would say to just elaborate a little bit more on what we might want to see in that space, I would note that there are organizations who are doing some of this linkage already. So there's organizations like the American Press Institute, there's the Center for Media Engagement, which happens to be at University of Texas. There's Pointer, there's the Diversity Pledge Institute. I could name a few different organizations where they try and bridge that gap and connect research and newsrooms. But I think what people are yearning to see is maybe it happen on a more systematic level. So for example, Center for Media Engagement, they've been around since 2011, and they've at this point collaborated with well over 100 newsrooms. And they will sometimes put out a call and say, we're doing research about XYZ and look for newsrooms who would be interested. At this point, increasingly, newsrooms are contacting them and saying, here's something that we want to research. But that's just one institution, right? They don't have infinite capacity. And what I'm thinking about and what some people are talking about is systematizing this process more, creating like more of a matchmaking service between newsrooms and researchers so that that collaboration can kind of happen. So we have, as researchers, a better idea of what needs covering, and we can find the best people to research that. Okay. So, you know, I already mentioned the fact that you're, 
you're sort of expanding on the, on the article you wrote for the Neiman Journalism Lab. Where is this going to go? Are you, are you going to create a resource? Are you going to have a website where people can go and you know find a, a menu of items pointing them to different types of journalism research? I'm definitely thinking about something like that. I guess this work kind of falls into a couple of buckets. Well, there, I would say, I say buckets. There's, <laughs> there's bleeding, there's bleeding between, there's sploshing and splishing between the buckets. Okay. So if you think about, you know, on the it's one- more of a trough. Yeah, yeah, there's sort of a trough, trough of anyway. efforts going on here and, and uh, they okay. bleed into each other. So there's the research that I'm doing with colleagues about the journalism research gap. We definitely don't want to keep that siloed because, of course, that is you know antithetical to the whole topic that we're studying here. So we're planning, as well as publishing results in a journal, to create basically like a short white paper or primer on the best practices that we find from our research, from talking to journalists. We're also talking about doing a, a sort of white paper, or sometimes I, I refer to it, I don't know if this is the best... <laughs> This is the best term. I call it a manifesto because I think what we're seeing here is a real, uh, a real issue addressed in ways small and large, and and it requires. Um, it, it can be we can start nibbling around the edges and creating ways of um, dealing, creating ways of of beginning to resolve the gap on smaller scale. But we can also think about it as it is quite a systemic problem that really is influenced by the structure of newsrooms, the incentive structure of academia. And so there's some big kind of social changes in a way that we want to press for if we want to try and resolve the tenure system, the way that that rewards academic output and does not reward engagement or any kind of influence on the practice of journalism. That's kind of one of those big picture structural issues. So we've got the research, we've got the white paper, which is basically to lay out the, the roadmap, some of the initiatives that might resolve some of the problems that I've described. And when we talk about what those initiatives are, I think one of those initiatives is what you describe. I think of it as sort of a clearinghouse where a set of researchers at a university or several universities would be working to do the translation of research into digestible Actionable. Digest, yeah, exactly. Digestible, actionable information and advice. I think that's important because we have organizations like Neiman Lab, like Pointer and CJR, that they do share the results of research and they do translate it into actionable information quite effectively. But they do it on a piecemeal basis, which is not a criticism of them. It's just the model of news. Same thing happens if you're talking about health news, for example. Any of us picking up a newspaper or looking at a news website could pick out a story that's about the latest advance in Alzheimer's research, for example. What we don't come away with is usually a very good picture of the state of the art, the state of the science in that example, Alzheimer's research. But what is the state of the science in building trust? We get kind of pieces of information here and there, whereas what might be really helpful would be if some academics were to consistently synthesize and translate academic research into a form that could be used by journalists. Well, before we wrap up, I did want to talk a little bit about the co-designing for trust that you're working on. 
What is that about? And I guess this goes back to your interest in earlier work in dealing with misinformation. Yeah, so I kind of have these twin interests in misinformation and the research journalist gap, although there is crossover there. So co-designing for trust is, as you mentioned, it's funded by the National Science Foundation. It's in a research initiative that works with practitioners in digital literacy. So people who are basically helping others to make sense of the information landscape. And those people are teachers, specifically rural teachers in high school settings, as well as teachers in a community college in uh, Seattle. We also have librarians, rural librarians. And uh, we also have a, a community group that's focused on an area of uh, urban Seattle and its it's Black-led community group that works with individuals in that area. So working with a variety of different types of practitioners, and each of these practitioners is really working with different types of constituents, whether those are students or patrons or community members. And so we're working with these practitioners to develop initiatives and using something called co-design or another one could quibble if it's the same thing, but largely the same thing. One could call it participatory design. So this is a kind of research that really looks at creating solutions with the people who would be implementing those solutions rather than coming down from on high and saying, well, you know, we think that to address digital literacy, you ought to implement this idea in your classroom. And the people in these workshops have been coming up with fantastic programs and initiatives to address misinformation, things like quizzes and games and lesson plans in the case of the the high school teachers, things that are really targeted towards their particular audiences, which I think is very important when you're talking about misinformation, because it is not a one-size-fits-all solution. And I like the fact that it sort of takes advantage of the tools that, for example, the high school teacher has, working and engaging with the students in the classroom and knowing probably better, you know, hopefully better, <laughs> what's going to work and what's not going to work. And being able to share that type of information as you're, you're putting together this larger initiative to address the problem of misinformation, I think is incredibly valuable. And if you could put it in some sort of, you know, curriculum or resource for educators at all levels, I think it would be really powerful. Yeah. So as part of co-designing for trust, I'm on a team within that called the adaptation team. And what we're interested in finding out is precisely that when you create a resource for a particular audience or create it with a particular set of co-designers, how do you then take that resource, pick it up and drop it in different context, whether that's taking it from high school to middle school or rural to urban, or even if these things are the same, just taking it from one school to another with a different set of children or different set of constituents, you're going to face different problems and different requirements. So the question becomes, how do we, well, it's probably twofold. How convey these resources in a way that people can see themselves in it? They can see the potential to use those in their setting. And how do we enable and empower people to adapt the resources? Because adaptation of, let's say, a classroom curriculum, as a teacher can tell you, is a very time-intensive thing. They're not going to do it at the drop of a hat. But at the same time, we can't have a hundred co-designing or a thousand co-designing for trusts that are all designing individualized resources for every library, et cetera. 
So how do we kind of generalize, but not to a point where you're losing some of the essential vitality of the resource? That goes to the root of the problem with misinformation. And I also agree that I can envision because of certain educational initiatives people have tried to introduce into different states and they've run up against people who are pushing against it. That's something that's out in the public. It's not necessarily talking about what's going on in the classroom or, you know, the school system. Anyway. If people are interested in joining this, basically this movement or this group of people who are interested in addressing this very pressing problem, what I would encourage them to do is to join our Slack And that's a meeting place for academics and journalists and other people who are interested in trying to resolve the gap. And we're going to be using that as kind of a meeting point to talk about the white paper that we're writing. It's also a place where you can find out more information about a pre-conference that we'll be holding next August. And that's at AEJMC, which is the Association for Education in Journalism in Mass Communication which is largely an academic conference, but we've really been expanding outwards and and involving more practitioners. And this is a special pre-conference that will have about an even mix of journalists and academics talking specifically about this problem, about how we make journalism research more collaborative and how we make it more impactful. Well, I think that that's something I think a lot of newsrooms would welcome, the opportunity to you know, have somebody look at these problems and help them find solutions for them. And plus also what your work in addressing misinformation. Tamar, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been great. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who report the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. To make sure you don't miss an episode of It's All Journalism, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco is our audio producer. Amber Healy writes our web content. Amelia Brust is our booking manager. Steph Thomas manages our social media. Nick Dupre composed our theme music. Carolyn Belefsky designed our logo. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.